Well, welcome everybody. Uh, today is July 22nd. We're back with another iteration of the Journal Chest uh, Journal Club uh, that we do live. I'm really excited to be here with our uh, with my co-moderator, uh, Dr. Divya Patel. So my name is Viren. I'm one of the Palm Crit faculties uh, here at uh, Krauss Hospital and SUNY Upstate Medical University um, in Syracuse. Uh, and Divya, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, thanks, Viren. Um, I'm, I'm Divya Patel. I'm a associate professor at the University of Florida. My area of expertise is in sarcoidosis. Um, and I'm very excited to be with all of you this afternoon to talk about this very interesting and I think a paper with a lot of clinical applic applicability. And on that note, we also understand it's not afternoon for our content liaison, Dr. Pistelli. Uh, it's 10 p.m. where he is right now in Pisa. So Dr. Pistelli is, um, he's a pulmonologist with the uh, cardiothoracic and vascular department uh, at the university in uh, Pisa, the university hospital. He is interested and studies actively lung function in the general population. He, we were having a very, very interesting conversation about uh, how lung functions get affected uh, and how we you know, use different sort of um, reference points and reference values. So he works on derivation of those besides working in the smoking cessation practice at the university there. And then representing the uh, list of authors for this study, which uh, we will go into shortly, is Dr. Fortis. And Dr. Fortis is an associate professor at the University of um, Iowa and similarly has research interests in COPD and PFT. If I may, he also just shared with us that he had started off with a critical care interest and then was heavily inspired by Dr. Pistelli. So this has already been a great start to this webinar. So with that, um, the study today that we will be discussing is about the use of slow vital capacity as opposed to forced vital capacity in patients uh, who've smoked or are smoking, but their lung functions, the traditional lung functions are normal or preserved, and how we can use SVC to identify obstructive lung disease in these patients. So smokers are ex-smokers, right? and preserved traditional lung function tests. So your FEV1 to FVC ratio, and then use of the FEV1 slash SVC ratio instead of the force ratio. So with that, um, I wanna go over the learning objectives, which I did. And then uh, the disclosures, Dr. Fortis, if you would like to talk about briefly. Yes, basically, I have no relevant dis disclosures uh, with, with the topic. Um, Beautiful. And I, that's true also for Dr. Pistelli. So we'll get started. Um, some um, sort of housekeeping items. So if any of you guys have questions, uh, please put them in the chat. And uh, Divya will be monitoring the chat. She will bring them up with Dr. Pistelli and Dr. Fortis. Um, we will... We're planning to have a discussion about 30, 35 minutes, following which we will have time for questions as well. So let's get started. So Dr. Fortis, I briefly did talk about what slow vital capacity is, but could you tell us a little bit more different about, a little bit more about what SVC is yes, as opposed yes. to the forced vital yes. capacity? I mean, so let me say first, vital capacity, what it is vital capacity? Vital capacity is the difference between total lung capacity and uh, residual volumes. Uh, in other words, what I say to my patients, you know, how big is your breath? And um, uh, so typically measure from uh, um, uh, with a forced vital capacity maneuver, the, the, the usual spirometry. So in the forced vital capacity maneuver, a, a, a patient breathes forcefully and fast uh, in to a total lung capacity and then immediately blows out forcefully and fast to the residual volume. So this is convenient because just one maneuver and you can get FEV1 and you can get FEVC. Uh, and uh, it's reproducible, widely used. However, the vital capacity can be measured in other ways. For example, can we measure like a slow um, expiratory uh, vital capacity maneuver? A patient breathes in slowly to the total lung capacity and then breathes out slowly to the residual volume. 
Another way to do that is with an inspiratory vital capacity maneuver. From the residual volume, the patient can breathe in slowly the total lung capacity. Now, in theory, all of these measures, uh, and that Dr. Pistelli, maybe for IQRs, maybe say, no, that's not true. But I would say, in theory, they should be all the same, but they're not. In reality, they're not. And why is that? Because when you do an, a, a force fast exhale maneuver, like the FEVC, you increase intrathoracic uh, pressure. And when you increase intrathoracic pressure, you have like, I would say, the sim simplify that extrusion compression of the airways, particularly in the small airways. And you may have a collapse of the small airways and obstruction of the small airways at the end of exhalation. You may have what you call a dynamic airway collapse. And then FEVC is truncated, is small. And the problem with that is because the FEVC is small, the ratio, the FEV1, FEVC ratio may be higher than supposed to be and maybe pseudo-normalize. And this pseudo-normalization can lead to patients under diagnosis of obstructive lines. A patient that may have an obstructive, sorry, a small airway disease that everybody's talking about this day, about small airway disease, it's a silent zone that you may not be able to detect it with a, with a regular you know, spirometry, may have a completely uh, 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 normal spirometry despite a small airway disease. So, um, so for that reason, so the, um, uh, maybe the slow vital capacity maneuver, it's, it could be better because there's a more sensitive test. And I will bring, uh, um, um, I will uh, cite another study also published in CHEST a few months actually prior to, to our study, uh, uh, Saint-Pierre uh, Saint study. Uh, and uh, they, um, they included in their analysis uh, data from their PFT, they have patients that have a normal FEV1, FEVC ratio, a normal total lung capacity, and they uh, categorized patients on based on the FEV1 SVC ratio. And they found that those, those patients that have low, or maybe I wouldn't say patients, I would say individuals, those individuals with low FEV1 SVC, they have higher rate of ob obstructive lung disease diagnosis per physicians uh, compared to those that they have normal FEV1 SVC ratio. So, and that's how, you know, we, we, we said, we, we, we thought the same thing. Um, uh, Maybe you know the uh, um, uh, individuals with normal spirometry by the current standards, FEV1, FEVC ratio, normal FEV1. If they have abnormal FEV1, SVC ratio, maybe they have more uh, obstructive lung disease. And now the question is, what is obstructive lung disease? Is there any gold standard? And we use some markers, uh, uh, like objective markers, like CAT scan findings, like uh, emphysema, gas trapping. Uh, PRM, uh, small airway disease, um, and I can tell you a little bit more about that, um, um, exacerbations and progressions, you know, to COPD. Um, uh, you're muted. Yeah. 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 That's perfect. I think um, we should segue into study design at this point. So it the, the data that you analyzed is from the Spiromex you know, yes. data. Yes, yes. And so the data was collected for the spiromic study prospectively. That's correct. And as part of that, you already had these values and some of the um, endpointer outcomes already collected, and you retrospectively sought to study it. So, so tell us, um, what all were the major sort of baseline characteristics you looked at, uh, looked at the major ones, and then what were your outcomes, what were you hoping to find out um, yeah, 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 about yeah. these patients? Um, and, and let me, Dr. Pistelli, I thought that you wanted to say something? You wanted? Uh, yes, uh, perhaps uh, it should be uh, underlined uh, some other uh, feature of uh, the uh, FEV1 CDC uh, uh, ratio. Um, uh, in particular, uh, these uh, uh, ratio is uh, also um, recommended uh, by the uh, current uh, guidelines uh, for the interpretation of lung function test. I refer to the ERS ATS uh, guidelines of the two si 2005. Um, uh, the SBC, uh, you have uh, um, said that uh, 
may have a larger value than uh, FVC due to the uh, lack of uh, um, dynamic compression during uh, a slow expiration. And thus, uh, using this, uh, um, this uh, parameter at the denominator uh, may uh, uh, facilitate to detect a, a, a reduce uh, a reduce uh, a reduce ratio. The guidelines um, suggest to use the the largest okay. uh, lung volume, which is possible uh, to displace from the lungs during a pulmonary function text, text test. But indeed, um, the guidelines do, do not uh, does not recommend uh, FVC or SVC. But the larger, the larger volume. Uh, this is a, a, a specification. Okay, it's a good point. Actually, specifically, yeah. if I'm not wrong, the guidelines specifically say make try to get a 10 second exhalation, right? Which is which is interesting, right? Because they do go to that specific. They don't talk about the force maybe in that much detail. So great. I was going to highlight that too. So thank you, Dr. Pistelli. All right, Dr. Fortis. So, so tell us uh, about the study. So um, uh, let me tell you first about the spiromics. So spiromics, just to, so it's, as you said, prospective collected data included current or former smokers with at least 20 pack years, so high risk population. And they, it has uh, four strata. Basically, uh, it's one, the stratum number one is those that they have normal uh, they have like a post-FEV1 percent predicted above 80% and a post-FEV1 FEVC above 0.7. And the rest of the strata are those that have like COPD. So we focus only on, on, on those that have uh, no focus. We analyze only those that have like normal um, spirometry, post-FEV1 percent predicted above, you know, 80% and uh, post-FEV1 FEVC um, um, above uh, 0.7. And then what we did is we categorized the patients on two groups, those that they have, and then you can see in the table one. Uh, so the uh, post bronchodilator FEV1 SVC below 0.7, and those that have post bronchodilator FEV1 SVC above 0.7. Now, um, I know that uh, a lot of people that argue that we use, uh, first of all, we use post bronchodilator uh, because the current gold guidelines they use the post bronchodilator for COPD and that's what they used in spiromics um, to define what strata they are. So we wanted to be consistent. So any analysis we did is either we did with post for all the analysis or pre all the analysis or low limits of all, all the analysis. And so for the first analysis we used 0.7, but also in the sensitivity analysis paper, we also did the, replicated the same analysis with the lower limit of normals. Anyway, so back to that. So we took again smokers, current or former smokers with normal uh, uh, spirometric by the current standards, and then we categorized in the post uh, based on the post FEV1 SVC. And we find that, as you can see, um, there's 100, uh, you know, 20 patients from total 154 patients. They have low post bronchodilator FEV1 SVC. And uh, from the table one is the characteristic. I want to emphasize that the, the uh, individuals with low FEV1 SVC, they were older. Uh, you know, age was like 65 versus 59. And they have more accumulated uh, smoking history. So the back year smoking was like 50 versus 40. And um, they have also, you know, uh, worse lung function. For example, like the pre bronchodilator FEV1% predicted was 89% in the, uh, in the individuals with low FEV1 SVC ratio, as opposed to 94% with those with normal ratio. The same, similar with post-bronchodilator. And the other thing you can see is like uh, the, uh, there is more evidence of obstructive lung disease uh, in the CT uh, features. Emphysema, for example, is like 2.3%. Um, uh, uh, to in the in the in the in the group with a low FEV1 FVC, SVC ratio versus 1.5, gas trapezoid was 12% versus 7.5, and smaller with disease um, uh, was like 12% versus 8%. Now, just a clarification: the emphysema is um, 
it's a um, uh, it's a radiographical in CT. So the patient took a inspiratory maximum inhalation at the total lung capacity. They got a CAT scan and they measured hypo- hypotenuation on that. Uh, and then the gas trapping is the, the hypotenuation in the residual volume CAT scan. The PRM, parametric response mapping, is like a fancy technique that can measure non-emphysematous um, uh, gas trapping due to small airway disease. So basically it takes much the emphysema and the gas trapping that gets in the, in the inspiratory and the expiratory scan, and then with a complicated algorithm, you know, find out what's a small airway disease percentage. So that's uh, for, yes. Perfect. Yes. So, uh, yeah, Dr. Pizzari, go ahead. Yes, I, I would comment on this association between, uh, uh, which has been found between age and SDC. Uh, uh, SBC. Uh, indeed, it uh, should be um, underlined that also in normal subject, mm-hmm. uh, it is possible uh, to, to found uh, a discrepancy between SVC and VC, which increase with aging. And so this is uh, an expected uh, association. And the other fact that uh, uh, the, it is associate, associate, SVC associated with sign of uh, emphysema and gas trapping. Uh, underline the fact that this uh, index uh, indeed may reflect uh, the, the, the first uh, um, impairment in the natural history of uh, the COPD because um, the obstructed subject indeed uh, may produce a, a, a larger uh, SVC uh, with respect to an FVC uh, for the uh, dynamic compression of the highways, which happens when uh, it is performed the forced expiratory maneuver. Yeah. Well, thank you. And uh, taking that, talking about you know, the impact of age, on your uh, different vital capacities and eventually ratios. Let's go right into it. So to summarize, you have a data set, you take people who of X and X and current smokers, but heavy total smoking. That's correct. You take the ones where their ratios are currently normal. That's correct. FEV1 to FVC. So technically they would have been normal people. Yes. The yes. normal, you take that and in them you do the FEV1 to SVC ratio. And you create two groups. One group has less than 0.7, one group has more than 0.7. So by this criteria now, one group already has COPD and the other probably doesn't have, or you're thinking that they probably do. Or yeah, you, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use the, we never use the term COPD for that. Obstructive lung disease, sorry. Uh, obstructive I, lung disease. Uh, and as we say, we don't know what is obstructive lung disease. You know what's the gold standard. So, right. so what? And then we are going to show you. The, the thing is to link it with outcomes and objective. Um, and tell us about the outcomes. Okay. And why? Why did you choose the the cutoff point seventy? So, so I can so. Uh, so there is we so some because the gold guidelines use 0.7 I'm, I'm not going to tell you my preference to be honest but uh, i know that maybe that's not correct now there is a one also problem uh, with uh, using a low limit of normals which which we are thinking to use it the problem with the low limits of normals if we use sv fev1 svc there is no reference values and uh, you pointed out actually even in your in your um, editorial uh, yeah, there is no reference values. The same thing actually a lot of people are doing. There is no reference values for post-FEV1, FEVC. I mean, in, in most of the population, uh, at least in, the, in NHINES, we don't, I mean, I don't think anybody created. Maybe we, we have post-bongodilators somewhere and probably somebody has to do that at some point. But we have only uh, pre-bongodilators reference value, but for FEV1, FEVC. And um, uh, and uh, and for that reason, you know, we didn't want to use, you know, initially as the in the main analysis, we didn't use to use the lower limit of normal. So we went to zero point seven, which 
it's kind of arbitrary anyway, but um, uh, that's what we, we, we chose that. And then, so again, I will repeat. So if for the, so in the main analysis, we said post, we used post FEV, post FEV, post bronchodilator and 0.7. Even to say which patient that will be included in the studies, even for which patient that will be categorized in this FEV1 SVC groups. In the sensitivity analysis, we use pre-bronchodilator for both how you defined uh, uh, the patient that will be included in the, in the, in the analysis plus to categorize the patient. The same thing with the uh, low limit of normal. So I agree Perfect. with your decision. Uh, in fact, uh, reference values for FEV1 uh, SVC ratio are available, uh, for example, in Europe for the ECCS um, yeah. reference equation, but uh, you have studied a, a, an American population, so uh, it's... Uh, uh, it would be uh, wrong to use a uh, not population-specific uh, reference values. That's good. Thank you. So we've established the reference. I was going to uh, check, uh, ask you about that in follow-up. So we'll do that later. So now in this group where you, I, so the, what was the associations in the group where the ratio of this uh, FEV1 to slow yeah. idle capacity was less than 0.7? Where basically we are thinking there might be obstruction or is obstruction or yeah. So the first thing we did is first we wanted to we did a parsimonials model like a, a logistic regression model as you see in here in the table too to show what are the most important predictors of uh, uh, um, of the low FEV1 SVC. So what are the characteristics of low FEV1 SVC? So but with the parsimonials model, you know, basically you say take away any confounders. So then, then what we saw is that if you are older, if you have uh, more, low, uh, worse lung function and more emphysema, then is when you are more likely uh, to have uh, uh, a low FEV1 SVC ratio. This does not say anything about the association FEV1 SVC with outcome. Just say, what are the predictors of the low FEV1 SVC? And that's, that's the, the table, table, table two. Then... Can we move to the, yes. So this is, uh, let's say more of the, let's say the, the juice of, the, uh, of uh, our, our findings. So here we have linear regression models adjusted for demographics and smoking um, uh, with, uh, and uh, that they examine the association of a low FEV1 SVC with the following outcomes, emphysema, gas trapping, and uh, uh, small airway disease. And as you can see, the, the individuals with low FEV1 SVC ratio, they have higher emphysema, 0.45% more emphysema than those that have uh, a normal FEV1 SVC ratio. They have higher gas trapping, 2.5%, and higher small airway disease, 2.8%. And now, I know that some people say, you know, that doesn't sound that a lot. 1% emphysema, it's very, very significant, actually. Uh, so, uh, and, you know, 0.5 for the baseline and for that population that we have, it's, it's significant. Uh, so uh, even 1% uh, change of emphysema, yeah, so uh, there has been stud uh, studied that increase mortality. So it's a very significant. So you, so Dr. Pistali, as I understand, we basically have now determined that in this population where the slow vital capacity ratio is as in 0.7, you have greater percentage of emphysema on imaging, one. You have more gas trapping by the, you know, the PRM method that you were describing. And then you also have higher small airway disease accordingly because of that parametric response. So tell us about then you followed these patients out for how much time? What was the median follow-up time? Because that has been one of the strengths of the respirometers, uh, the response they did us yeah. right? So yeah, yeah. what was your average follow-up time? So first of all, I'll tell you just to clarify. So the, this is so spirometry at baseline, and this is CAT scan at the baseline. And then we have like a follow-up. Uh, so typical, the patients have like a, they have a baseline visit and then they have like three follow-up visits. And now we have like more spiromics, uh, there will be more visits, but they have, an, sorry, three annual follow-up visits. 
So uh, I think the follow-up average time was like 1,500 days or something like that. So like three, you know, three, three so years. Good solid like four years yeah. of median yeah. follow-up data. Great. So that is very important, right? In the scheme of any chronic disease. So Dr. Pizdali, maybe I'll direct this at you to start with. So it would make sense, uh, I suppose, to study, right? Do these people who already have a compromise ratio, do they progress to one frank disease by traditional metrics? Two, do they start clinically expressing? And three, do they then start also having problems such as exacerbations, right? So if you had to do the study or you had to design the study from follow-up standpoint, what would you look at? Uh, so the, the, this data came from a, a, a study which has a, a, a retrospective design. However, uh, it's, uh, it's a solid uh, result, I think, uh, to have observed the, um, the possibility to detect uh, the uh, um, progression toward COPD in uh, patients, uh, smokers or ex-smokers, which have uh, at baseline no highway uh, um, obstruction uh, as defined by the um, gold uh, criterion. So uh, this is a, a consistent, uh, a solid result of uh, the use of uh, SVC uh, instead of uh, FVC. So Dr. Fordes, walk us through the what did you find on your follow-up? Yes, yeah, so uh, so you, since you have like figure one, I can tell you about the figure one first. So um, so one was as we said, you know, we follow the um, with uh, serial spirometries, annual spirometry every year, and we show, and we examine what percent of the patients, uh, what how many patients they have like a COPD by the classic standard criteria, post FEV1, FEC, zero point, below 0 0.7. And we did that as a, actually for the low limit of normal and the pre-bronchodilator, the same results. And then as you can see here, uh, this is like an interval sens sensor analysis, kind of like a, the same thing as a, a typical Kaplan-Meier curve. It shows a COPD free survival, and you can see the group that they have normal post FEV1 SVC ratio, there is less chance to develop you know, uh, COP, uh, COPD uh, in the future. And we're talking about significant, uh, we're talking about like what's like 40%, I think the actual numbers like something like 35, 40% difference. So it's a big difference. And then if you go back to the previous slide, so this is the, 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 the adjusted analysis for the uh, uh, interval sensors, uh, sensor uh, regression analysis. And you can see the hazard ratio for the progression to COPD is like 3.9. So pretty significant. It is not talking just we have a large number, uh, some, uh, sample size, and we just find a significant difference. The other thing we did is because um, some of my, my co-authors thought, you know, some of the patients, they may have COPD that may bounce back to the uh, uh, normal spirometry or maybe go to this preserve ratio impaired spirometry with abnormal spirometry with abnormal uh, uh, FEV1 or FEC. Um, and that's you know, the current guidelines that say, you know, you have to do more than one spirometry anyway. So we examine also the persistence of COPD. So somebody that has COPD and then persists in the, in the, in the, in the follow-up uh, spirometry. And we find the same results, you know, very significant association between the low FEV1 SVC and progression to persistent COPD. Um, uh, yes, what, what, what because the on the oh, Doctor Pistari, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yes, because it, it uh, needs to be always underlined that the obstruction, the COPD, um, needs to be persistent, chronic, uh, and and not only one um, measure uh, may be considered to 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 diagnose uh, obstruction. But there there need. Uh, more than one uh, observation uh, over time. And this study highlights this aspect as uh, the Dr. Fortis has uh, pointed out. Exactly, and the guidelines like you both mentioned, make a point of it. So here's a, a question. 
I, I think the natural uh, curiosity would be how many of the people in these two groups uh, were still smoking, right? Because you did have ex and current smokers. So it was, did you factor in for things like that? Because if, you know, there's a difference in current smokers in the two groups, could that have caused this? Yeah, so, I mean, can you go in table one again? I can, uh, I can show you and then I can tell you. So here, for, uh, for example, you can see the current smoking is actually the... Um, uh, uh, this one that says like at the baseline, if the patient, they, they were current smoker. And then you, you can see that uh, less patient, uh, they were current smoking is the post bronchodilator and the low post bronchodilator FEV1 SBC group, okay? Which maybe, you know, sounds, I don't know, maybe counterintuitive. It doesn't sound counterintuitive to me. It's pretty common. I have seen that in many studies. So typically these patients, they have low FEV1 SBC. They probably have more symptoms, even, you cannot see that with the analysis that we have in the MMRC score and the CAT score, but they have usually more symptoms and even will not be able to pick it up. Uh, and then for that reason, for that reason, they don't smoke. Um, now, so for, the, for an analysis, we adjusted for, small, for current smoking status at the baseline and pack years. We don't have a way, a good way um, uh, uh, to do... Um, like uh, 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 to figure out, you know, how, how much did this smoke between the visits and things like that. So uh, we we asked the patients actually in the spiromics, you know, if they smoke, you know, in the um, in the follow up visits. But it's very difficult to introduce in the analysis. We have done some <clears throat> uh, some um, um, I think stratifications, but. Uh, uh, we cannot we cannot introduce the smoking status like the smoking status during the follow up study in the analysis. And that's fair, but you did, I what? believe, can, uh, factor for that, which is which is helpful. So yes, yes, so we did factor, and then we factored for back per years. And actually, to be honest, if it was, uh, it will be for uh, the the fact that there is less uh, current smokers. With the post FEV1 SVC, that would be that uh, it's our approach was even more conservative, let's say. Yeah. Okay. However, the PAC years were higher in the group uh, with the post bronchodilator FEV1 SVC below 0. 0.7. Yeah. 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 So, Dr. Pistari, um, so sounds like in terms of the populations, they were balanced. Sounds like the despite factoring in for confounders or variables that can have impact, there is progression in these people who currently are technically normal. So I think we all, the question that I have for you is keeping all of the, these data in mind. What would you tell a clinician like me? So I'm, I'm, I'm broadly an ICU guy, like I said, I'm a plural disease guy, I'm an area management guy, but I do my COPD clinic and I love my COPD patients. So if I was to ask Dr. Pistelli, I love this. This makes complete sense to me. How do I use this data um, thoughtfully? The, I, I think we have uh, to, to keep in mind the, 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 the limitation of the data set because this is not a general population sample, but uh, are, uh, a selected uh, sample of uh, subject over uh, um, 40 years uh, uh, of age and uh, see uh, and so generalization um, must uh, must be uh, done with uh, some uh, caution um, I, I think that uh, the, the, the basic message uh, from this uh, from this uh, study is uh, the the, the the, the, the key point of using the slow vital capacity at the denominator for uh, the um, definition of uh, the um, uh, airway obstruction index. Um, and uh, it is uh, to be uh, considered that uh, in the clinical routine, uh, it uh, is simple to perform uh, to, on, on, to, to different uh, 
um, to different uh, tests, the fourth, uh, the fourth, uh, the expiration and the slow expiration. It takes, uh, uh, I think, uh, um, very few minutes. Uh, this is, uh, for example, the, the, the routine at uh, our department. And so uh, uh, the physician should be uh, start to, to take uh, into account both the, uh, um, both the, um, the ratios. Uh, the FEV1 SVC ratio and the FEV1 and FVC ratio when uh, when interpreting uh, the uh, spirometry of uh, in specifically of uh, smoking patients. And the can, is can, can I add on something on yeah. that? As, as particularly, and I didn't we didn't emphasize that. Then you know, Dr. Pistelli has done a lot of research in that subject. When you have like obese individuals with increasing BMI, that can make things worse, you know, and you can have an, an a small airway disease or like a mild early, whatever you want to, you know, to call it with a high BMI can mask easily, you know, obstructive lung disease in that particular um, uh, uh, population. Also, I will, uh, I would definitely think twice, let's say that to use uh, um, a slow vital capacity if, if that's possible. Okay. So, Populations where other factors such as potentially extra extra cutaneous, you know, sort of restrictive diseases can hide the obstruction. Uh, potentially use it for diagnosis if you feel that FVC might not be revealing adequately, I suppose. And then what about I when I was reading, and you can correct my interpretation of this, is that I feel like this, this might be useful for talking to current smokers who you're trying to, you know, get them to quit smoking because as a clinician, I run into that challenge, right? I talk to my relatively younger smokers and they're like, well, right now my lung function tests are fine. So maybe explaining to them that, hey, you know, they are fine, but let's check this. And if it's low, you're already at risk of developing lung disease so maybe it could be a motivational factor. Do you think that's a potential application or no? Very, very, I don't know that question for me, but that's a very good point. Uh, uh, so first of all, as far as, I mean, it's debatable, but most, most of, uh, I would say, colleagues uh, in investigators would say, you know, we don't know for sure they have an agent that can change the natural history of, you know, COPD. Okay. Uh, now we can argue maybe a little bit broader. Anyway, bottom line is that the most important uh, is to quit smoking. And uh, uh, we know there is studies, I mean, I don't think there is a lot, but there is studies that if the patient knows that they have abnormal lung function or the worst lung function they have, they're more likely to quit smoking. So one, so that's a very good point. That you mentioned. So if the patient knows they have abnormal lung function based on the FEV1 SVC ratio, there's more likely to quit. The other thing we are thinking ahead, and I, I think a lot of investigators are looking at that, because the pharmacotherapy, maybe when we introduce pharmacotherapy in, in COPD, maybe it's too late sometimes. Maybe we have to find a uh, 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 patient with smaller with disease that they have normal spirometry based on the FEV1, FVC ratio to, intro, to, to start in a pharmacotherapy at the early you know, uh, stages and maybe that will be beneficial. So, so two things they can do, the FEV1, FVC ratio can help us to identify and uh, early obstructive lung disease and motivate the patients to quit smoking, but maybe help the, uh, the, uh, the research community to uh, identify a, tar a target group for, for future uh, pharmacotherapy trials. Yeah. yeah, no, this is a really great and useful discussion. Um, I wanna start out by going through the questions that the audience members have, because I think there's some nice questions here. And then, you know, I'll, I'll save mine till the end. Um, so the first question that an audience member asked is, you know, could you expand more on, um, a little bit more on, you know, how, how do you know that these changes, that these differences you're noticing between the groups are related to smoking um, rather than just age-related changes like senile obstructive lung disease, like lung function declining with time. Um, they wanted, they wanted, uh, they were hoping to get more discussion about that. Yeah, I mean, so, for, so 
we adjusted for AIDS. That's one you know, thing we did. And we adjusted for a smoking status and back years. Now, as we said, you know, it's always problematic, you know, if we we don't know what happened from the baseline that we do the measurements and when they develop COPD. I mean, we have data, but there's no, we cannot really say, you know, what's, let's say, the smoking exposure during the program. So that's actually a limitation, but I think that every study is limited in this sort. So, but we adjusted for AIDS and we adjusted for, for, for smoking status. That's, I would say. Yeah. Um, another and question. I, I don't know. Ahead, oh, no, I think Dr. Pistelli wanted to. Oh, go ahead, Dr. Pistelli. I, I agree with uh, your response. Uh, yeah. fact. So Dr. Fortis, this is a question for you. Um, one of the attendees asked if you guys did any subgroup analysis to see just effects specific in the asthma population versus the COPD, you know, like the emphysema type COPD population. Yeah. So um, to be honest, I don't remember if we ever did it. I don't think we, 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 we published that, but there was no difference at, at the baseline. Now, ACO, it's actually something that I'm really, you know, interested. It's my another interested, uh, like another subject I'm very interested in that. And myself, I have even prom, you know, for the diagnosis of asthma. This is like a self-diagnosis of asthma and diagnosis of ECHO in general. We don't have a good diagnosis. We don't have a good criteria for how to diagnose ECHO. A lot of people, they use the bronchodilator response, which is wrong because that's a I mean, I, I sorry, my my opinion at least, the bronchodilator response cannot distinguish between um, uh, COPD and asthma COPD overlap. It's very common. Um, we have some proposal, or we have some, you know, um, like we have published another paper about that. But anyway, bottom line is that no, we don't. We, we, I don't know if we conducted that analysis, but you know, there was no difference in the in the asthma self-reported asthma baseline. But it's it's also another topic that's very controversial. I say the asthma COPD. How do you do diagnose? So how we can say what is asthma COPD overlap? Um, yeah, I, I I don't remember. But if you go to table one, there was a difference in the prevalence of asthmatic patients between the group with high or low FV1 SVC ratio. If I remember, can you go to the table okay. one? There you go. No, it, it was like a, it was four four point six to Asthma, three point eight. Okay. Asthma one hundred seven. Yeah. And nineteen. Okay. Yeah, it's about the same. Okay. Um, okay, so another question that uh, an audience member asked is. So the goal criteria is known to underdiagnose COPD in young people. Um, but in this study where, you know, there was like, in this study, the older age, um, you know, seemed to have more obstructive lung disease um, and not younger ones smoking. So I guess they're asking like, are you still seeing the underdiagnosis with FEV1 over FEC that you get using the goal criteria with FEV1 over F, F, uh, FEC. So even so, if even we use the lower limit of normal, is that sorry? Is that because if we use the lower limit of normal, mm -hmm. you have like the same uh, uh, the same findings, similar findings. Maybe yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned that. I think what they're trying to say is, you know, the issues that you have with underdiagnosis in the younger population, overdiagnosis in the older population using gold with FEV1 over FEC, would you get the same with FEV1 over SVC? I think that's what they're trying to ask. Oh, um, I'm pretty sure about that. So the, the, the ratio goes down, every ratio, either FEV1, FEC or FEV1, SVC goes down with AIDS. Mm -hmm. And uh, as if you use the 0 0.7, you know, uh, for like probably an 85 year old, maybe that's okay. But mm -hmm. 0 0.7 for me that I'm 40 year old. So <laughs> it's actually uh, pretty low. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it, it's, 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 it should be the same thing. And I, I don't know if Dr. Pistelli agrees with that. The, the ideal situation uh, would be having uh, the uh, 
reference for SVC, FEV1 SVC ratio. Um, but when you have used uh, the Enhance uh, reference values, you have uh, um, obtained a similar result with uh, the fixed ratios 0.7. So in this population, which are subject with 40 years of age, we can expect to have an over estimation of highways obstruction. All right, um, so, and the last question from the audience is a little bit provocative and I'm curious to see what you guys think. Should uh, FEC be removed as a measure and I guess replaced with SVC and does it still have value in light of the, the data that you're showing? I think this is, this is the question that we all have. <laughs> um, I mean, first of all, we, I don't know if I will remove it. I mean, we I, we have to be, I mean, a little bit, let's say more, or let's say cautious, but we do really, you know, uh, believe that's probably a, a, a better measurement. That's reason we did the study. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the op I, I, I still, we have to overcome few, few, few obstacles, at least, you know, in the, in the, in the States. So we need to have FEV1 SBC reference values. Mm -hmm. and, and ideally, we should have like a study, but I don't think it ever happened. A very long, like a long study, and you compare the one ratio versus to the other in all the populations. And then, you know, I don't know, like make an AUC curve with using an FEV1 FVC ratio and then FEV1 SVC ratio with a study that's like, you know, 30 year long or something like that, which I never, I don't know if we never, you know, have, but that will be a way to say, okay. Definitely, that's the, and that will tell us, okay, if the FEV1 SBC is associated with worse outcome, maybe this is where we should go. We should use the FEV1 SBC. And sometimes this is the problem with adopted, I feel like, you know, measures is because remember all the studies in COPD and obstructive lung disease are done with your current sort of, you know, measurements so now we won't know then what to do with it so I, I hear you but it sounds like there's a niche application which can be we can use it right we don't have to get that hung up on guidelines necessarily we can use multiple data points so i'm very excited i'm actually hoping to use it a little bit more about uh in in the patients we discuss so um, I, I i can add like few let's say out of the box for example like there is another paper in, in, in test, for example. And I don't remember, that was like a while ago. I think it was lung transplant patients and they used the ratio, SBC, FVC ratio. I think we have, we have cited or uh, in, 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 the, in the manuscript. Um, and then they detect obstructive OB bronchiolitis obliterus, you know, from the lung transplant earlier than the reduction in the FEV1. So there is people that use it. And also we know that there is association with the, SVC, FVC difference and, uh, you know, uh, symptoms in COPD. So it is published before. You can use it. You know, maybe it's not in a large scale uh, sample uh, studies, but it is. Um, so Dr. Fortis and Pistelli, I have a question. After I read this paper, I actually called our PFT lab director and asked, you know, do we do this test? And like, what would it take to add it? So I was told we don't do it here at our institution, but I'm curious, like how much, like what, you know, how much time commitment to get SVC data? Like, does it add a lot of, um, to the time of the, you know, the respiratory techs that are getting these studies and in terms of cost to the patient, like would there be a, you know, significant cost, or do you think that it should be doable relatively easily and, and with less, less resources. I, Dr. Pistel, do you want to go first? I can tell you if the US experience from my experience and Dr. Pistel can say in the US, and actually he already said that it's easy, but I will let Dr. Pistel to answer first and then I can tell you. And, excuse me, but I, I have not had, can you re repeat because I, I, I have lost the audio. 
Sure, no problem. What I was saying is that at my institution, we don't do the uh, SVC study. So if I want to convince, you know, the director of our PFT lab to get this test, like, what could I say? Usually, you know, what their main concerns are tests that take too much time or too many resources or too, you know, cost too much money. So how could I convince them that we should do this test? Uh, the, the, the basic information uh, is uh, that uh, if we perform uh, the uh, SVC uh, maneuver and uh, then we can uh, discover uh, much more obstructed subject, we can, uh, we, can, we can do a, a benefit for this, for this patient. I think uh, that uh, um, in terms of cost, uh, it is not uh, so, so so important uh, performing the uh, uh, um, slow vital capacity maneuver in addition to, to the FVC maneuver during a, a, a routine session of uh, spirometry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will add on that in in the so SVC is typically. Oh, it's typically, I don't know any PFT lab in the state that is not part outside of the plethysmography. So typically, you know, if you do SVC, you need mm-hmm. to have a plethysmography. Mm-hmm. But I, that's not, I don't think that's necessary. And uh, I, you don't have to do why you have to do plethysmography, uh, number one. Second, there is some centers they do, uh, for example, like, um, I mean, I don't know if I should, but I'd lo- I'd need, I'd li- I'd, I don't know if I should name specifically, but I can... Um, in University of Minnesota, they do like plethysmography for every patient in spirometry. In, in Mayo Clinic has published a lot of uh, uh, studies using, um, I don't remember if they use SVC, but they do plethysmography to everybody. To everybody. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, I know that, you know, it takes more time, but it can be done. And, and the second thing is we don't have necessarily to tie it together with the plethysmography. Maybe you can just do a slow vital capacity maneuver by itself. Mm-hmm. And so usually in the, in the clinical routine, usually um, with uh, two, three maneuvers, you, you obtain a reproducible uh, test. Okay. So okay. Th- th- in very few, very few minutes. Okay, that's wonderful. So awesome. I think that, that's all the questions we have from the audience. Viren, uh, anything else? No, I think this was good. I think we've talked about the study, uh, the implementation, and the fact that this is actually easily doable with current resources, which is what made me most excited about this article, because I think that's the challenge. Most of the times is research. Can we get this? Do we have the resources, the funding? I feel like this is a pure clinical application. So I'm super excited, Dr. Fortis. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Dr. Pistelli. Thank you so, so much. And thank you for inspiring Dr. Fortis so (laughs) we can have the good signs that you're both producing, okay? Um, And uh, have a good time. We have five minutes uh, return to the day, which is always a great thing. And uh, keep contributing to the journal and we will see everybody next month, okay? Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you, bye.